Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be on this space. Oh my gosh. You have no idea how much joy I have in my heart to be in front of you today. I have just been grinning all morning long because I just can't believe that I'm here today. Just the way that I got here from all the way since I was born to, to now, I just am so grateful for the hand of God that's been on my life. And I know that you can relate to the hand of God that has been on your life. To, if, if it had not been for Him, where would you be? If it had not been for God, where would you be? I just wanna take a moment and honor our amazing, fearless, powerful, wonderful leaders, Pastor Phil and Pastor Meredith. Guys, they are the best leaders. And I'm not just saying that. They are the best leaders. I'm really not just saying that. We have some of the greatest pastors some of the greatest leaders that we get to serve with and serve under and serve for. I'm so grateful that they believe in this next generation. And the best thing, what I love so much about them is that they are the same people out here as they are back there in a coffee shop, at their house. They're the same everywhere. They are full of integrity, full of character, full of genuineness. They are full of the goodness of God. So I just thank God for you guys so very, very much. And also I wanna take a moment to honor my beautiful, wonderful, magnificent wife, that there is no one like her. She is the best. I love her so much. She is so wonderful. We've been married for about two and a half years. And so I just feel privileged to actually just be married to her. It's amazing. We have been together for two and a half years and we both work here on staff here at the church. Every day we wake up together, go to work together, go, do every, go to school together and everything like that we do together. It's kind of crazy, um, but I love it so much and I wouldn't change it for anything. This is really just one of the greatest, um, I work here at the church, like I said, and it really is um, my dream job. I've wanted to be here uh, pretty much my whole life, but it was the right time and the right season for me to be where I'm at today. And I'm thankful that I work here because one of our uh, work cultures is that we are educational om omnivores. And so we believe in growing, we believe in learning, we believe in achieving. We believe in going after the things that God has called you to do, to be smart, to be intelligent, to be educated. And so when I got hired here on staff after a little bit, um, I felt the Lord really begin to lead me to go and get my bachelor's degree in um, biblical and theological studies because I love to teach the word of God and I wanna do it not just with my whole heart, but my whole mind and everything that I am. So. I'm studying online right now at Liberty University, and it's incredible. I'm about a year in, so keep praying for me. I'm not finished yet, but I got finishing faith in my soul. Um, and right now, my family is watching online. What's up, fam? I'm so happy that you are watching here. I'm so glad that you get to be a part of this experience with me and with everybody else here. And if you're watching online, what's up? You see me in the booth. I'm so glad to be with you this morning as well. <laughs> All right, so. Introduction over. 
Let's talk about where we've been. So we have been in a series called From Dust. Who's benefited from it? Come on. Come on, make some noise if you have loved the series From Dust. We've talked about who are you, that we are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Pastor Meredith brought that message. We talked about the cure for loneliness, which is community. Pastor Phil brought that message, and it was so good. Last week, we talked about work it. Come on, if that made you get excited to get into work Monday morning. I don't know what else will. It was a shot of adrenaline to my bones. And so up next is the greatest commandment. I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm a little nervous, though, because, like it says, it is the greatest commandment. So there's a lot there, and I want you to be uh, mindful of the fact that it says the greatest commandment, not the greatest suggestion. You know, we like to uh, have suggestions, choices, the ability to choose whatever we want to make everything unique to us, to make it palatable for our uh, background or whatever it is that we're doing. But I want to encourage you that this is the greatest commandment that God gives us. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you've been around here at church for any amount of time, most likely you have heard this parable. But just in case today is your first day and you're still trying to give the whole church thing a shot and you still don't know if you quite yet believe in Jesus and you have not heard this story, well, you're in good hands because I'm going to read it nice and slow. We're going to take it line by line, verse by verse, text by text, and really begin to unpack what the depth of this scripture is for us. So turn into your uh, Bibles to Luke 10, chapter 25. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Pause. (laughs) I told you we're going to go line by line. No, I'm just joking. But pause. So we have a lawyer. First character is introduced to the story here. We have a lawyer. He is an expert in what he does. He is something of a lawyer. Like if you ever get into legal troubles, you want a lawyer because they are wicked smart. They know every line. They know every iota of what the law has to say. They are experts in life. But I wonder how often people claim to be experts but are not actual experts. That they claim to know something but they don't actually know everything. There's a lot of YouTubers here nowadays. There's a lot of people starting Facebook pages that claim to be prophetic in all sorts of different ways and claim to be experts. But I wonder if you actually are an expert. I know I sent a video to my family earlier this week because my little sister said that she doesn't know how to chop an onion. And I said, lady, you need to know how to chop an onion. So I took it upon myself as the onion chopping expert to make a video of this is how you chop an onion. And so I go through the whole thing and I make it and I send it out only to get back in the chat. Everyone's like, "Uh, yeah, I don't cut off the roots. The roots are what makes you cry. And I'm like, what? What? No, no, no. You have to have a flat surface in order to cut it so it doesn't fall. No. You keep the roots on. You want to make sure that you don't cry because that's how the, the, you know, the oils of the onion get into your eyes. So I thought I was an expert. I put out a video. It turns out I am not an expert at cutting onions. My sister, who is a professional teacher, called me out, and I said, when in doubt, trust the professional teacher. So I'm so grateful for that. So anyways, back to the story. And behold, a lawyer, this so-called expert, stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're the expert. You tell me. 
And the, and the expert said, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Good job, you did it. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, okay, pause. I wonder how many but he's you have heard recently in your life. I love what Meredith just did. We wanna, we wanna buy a house. We want, to, we wanna go and do these things that God has for us in our life. We wanna do the dreams that God has for us. But he said, you can't do that. I wonder who the he is in your life, the he or she. But he said, but man said that you can't do the miraculous. You can't do the impossible. You can't graduate. You will never be smart. You will never be enough. You will never have the job of your dreams. You will never be able to do all of these things. But I encourage you that if you just keep going, Jesus has to reply to those but he moments in our life. So Jesus replies and says, a man was going. Oh, he says, desiring to justify himself. And Jesus uh, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem. Pause. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm telling you, we're going to be here for a while. I love it. Um, so from Jerusalem to Jericho, I just want to put it into context, just in case you don't know or have never been to Jerusalem or Jericho. It's about an 18-mile walk. I looked it up. That's about from here to BG, to Bowling Green University, depending on, whoop, depending on which route you take. There's some that's a little bit longer, some that's a little bit shorter, but if you take your time, it's gonna be about 18 miles distance. That's a long time, so just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, that they would walk here and there, back and forth. And this guy, this Jew, fell among some robbers who, were, uh, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest or a pastor was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Man, that hurts. He saw him and kept on walking. He saw the need. He saw the things that are in our life and did not stop. Come on. And then, likewise, a Levite, which is kind of like an associate pastor, kind of the same deal, a holy man, walks by, sees the need, and keeps on walking. Say, I'm just too busy. Like, I really want to help. I know it's what I'm supposed to, but I just, I have, I have a meeting. I have to get there. I'm going to be late if I don't get there in time. I, I, I know I got to stop and do something, but if I don't get there, they're going to be mad at me, so I, I can't help the immediate need. I need to stick to my agenda. Come on, God wants to shake up your agenda this morning. God wants you to get out of your comfortable zone, get out of your safe space, and get into the nitty-gritty of helping people. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, out of all people, a Samaritan and a Jew do not get along. They're not friends. They're enemies. They got a lot of beef between each other. There's a lot of things in their life that they don't agree on with one another. There's a lot of beef there, but regardless, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and he saw him. Aren't you glad somebody saw you? And he had compassion. What a great word. And when he, he went up to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, 
And he set him on his own uh, animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus now asks the question, And which of these was the neighbor? And I can just feel it in the lawyer. Has anybody ever proved you wrong? And you kind of have to admit it. You kind of grit your teeth. I guess the one who had mercy on him. Correct. Now you go and do likewise. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this moment. I thank you, God, that I'm here. I thank you, God, for each and every person that is here in the house, in the building, and who is watching online. God, I thank you that every person here is a living, walking, breathing miracle, and I'm grateful that you are going to speak a word to them. God, if there is anything in my mouth or anything in my heart that does not benefit or is that, that's not truth, let it be forgotten. But God, I pray that you strengthen the hearts and the minds of the believers here today. Amen. Today's title is Your Greatest Life. Your Greatest Life. Not your best life, not your hashtag blessed life, but your greatest life. If you've ever spent some time around me, um, you would know that I am a huge Apple fanboy. I'm an Apple sheep all the way. I love all things Apple. I'm a huge fan of the ecosystem. It drives Sarah a little bit crazy because we probably spend way too much money on all things Apple. I am all about the leaks, the rumors, anything like that. So if you're an Android this morning, I'm sorry. I don't have anything really for you. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to make it personal like that, but I'm just letting you know. No, I'm just joking. I got something for you too. Don't worry about it. But I am an Apple lover. I love all things Apple. The reason why is because it's so simple. There's so much to do. There's so much there, but it's so simple. There's simplicity in the Apple ecosystem. There's simplicity in all things on your iPhone, on your, uh, on your, all the apps that you can download and everything like that. It's, sim it's simple. But how many of you know that simplicity does not always mean easy? That simplicity does not always mean easy. So likewise, if, if I um, want to charge my phone, I just plug it in. But if the battery's broken or if the battery needs replaced, I have no idea how to change that out. I got to take it somewhere who knows, right? So it's simple to charge it, but there's nothing easy about actually changing out a battery. Same with rearranging your icons, downloading a couple apps, updating your software on your phone. It's all really simple. They've made it nice. But can anyone in here do any of the coding that makes it what it is? If your phone battery is dead, there's nothing more to it. It's done, right? So the, the interface is really simple, but there's nothing really easy about it within itself. It's not easy to understand. But on the opposite side, complicated does not always mean good. Complications do not always mean that it is beneficial. And so I say all this to say that there is a line or a phrase that we say around the greatest commandment that I want to clear up a little bit. It is love God, love people. Who's heard that before? Come on, put it in the chat. Love God, love people. It's true. It's wonderful. It's great. 
We hear it in lyrics, we hear it or see it on merchandise, we see it all over the place. If you wanna sum it up in one way, it's love God, love people. Simplicity is good, but it's not always easy. So today, I wanna talk about what it means to love God, to love people as yourself. I wanna go in deep and uh, we're gonna follow along and then we're gonna come out with some practical steps, amen? All right, let's go. So the Shema, Back in Deuteronomy, back in the old days, back when Hebrews were um, around, they would read the Shema, what they called the Shema, every day, sun up to sun down. They would read it all day, and they would keep it and meditate it and put it on their hearts, teach their children as they're washing the dishes. They are meditating on this particular portion of Scripture, which is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it says, O Israel, I am your God, and your Lord God is one. And as for you... You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And they would repeat that every day as they're washing the dishes, doing their work. Love the Lord God with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my strength. Love the Lord God with all. Every day they would repeat it, sun up and sun down. They would do it all day long. So I wanna talk about what it means to them to read it, right? So I wanna talk about what it means to them in their particular context of what it means to read it. Let's start with the word heart. If you got it up on the screen, heart in Hebrew is lava. Everybody say that with me, lava. Great, you guys sound awesome. Did you guys read Hebrew before you came here? No. Um, so heart is lava or lev for short. And in Hebrews, the crazy thing is, is they had no concept for the brain. They only had a concept for the heart, but the heart and the brain were actually molded together into one space, and that was what we would call the lava. So to love God with all of your heart would mean that we, um, we would love God with all of our intelligence, because the Bible would often say that you know things in your heart. You know and understand things in your heart, that wisdom lives in the heart, that desires and convictions come from the heart. So when we read that we love God with all of our heart, we read and see that we love God with all of our knowledge, our understanding. We love God from wisdom. We love God in our choices. We love God in our desires and our convictions. We love God in our emotions and in our fears and in our faith, because love comes from the heart. That is why the Bible says you must guard your heart above all else, because from it flows everything, flows all the issues of life. If you find yourself saying negative, negative thoughts, it's because somewhere in your heart there's a lie that you believe. If you find yourself cussing people out, it's because there's somewhere in your heart that is not resolved yet in peace. If you find your heart, um, if you find your heart muddied and, and, you know, not good, that's because you have not guarded your heart. So the good news is, is we get to love God with all of these desires and choices. Next up is soul, which is nefesh. Everybody say nefesh. You guys are so good at this. Wow, I love it. So nefesh is said over 700 times. 700 times. That's a lot of times in the Bible. It's a lot of context. 
But what's so interesting about this is by the time we got soul from the Hebrew Bible to our English language, there was a lot of things that happened in between. It had to go through Greek. It had to go through the Middle Ages, all sorts of different interpretations. So when we read soul now, we see that there is a separation between my body and there's something immaterial here. Like my body and my spirit are two separate spaces. But the Hebrew Bible had no understanding for that. They're like, no, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. You're not a ghost in the machine, right? You are all integrated into one thing. And it kind of actually, when it's translated, it means throat, which is a weird way to say it. But if you think about it like this, it's kind of like I've got six mouths to feed, you know? Like what goes into your body and what comes out of your body, so d it depends on um, how we live our life, or our life depends on what comes in our throat and what comes out. So it's also referred to as the whole person. So we get to love God with our whole body. Our whole physical existence gets to honor God. Every part of us gets to honor God. Next up is strength. This is the last one, then we're going to have some fun. So strength is Ma'od. Everybody say that. Ma'od, right? It's spoken 300 times, and what's so funny about this word as well is it doesn't actually necessarily mean strength. There's a word in the Hebrew Bible that means strength, and it's not this. Um, it's more like an adjective that goes alongside other words to give it more uh, oomph, you know? It's kind of like uh, very or really. And one of the ways that I like to think about it is loving God with all of your muchness. It's everything that is within you that we get to love God for. So if we get to devote God, or if we get to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our muchness, with everything that is in us, that means that there are an infinite possibilities in which we get to bring God glory in every day of our life, whether you're washing the dishes, whether you're driving on your way to work, whether you're clocking in at work, whether you're talking with your family on the phone, whether you are on vacation, whether you are 40 hours deep into your work shift, whether you are preparing an artisanal meal, whether you are preparing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to eat, there are so many ways to give God glory in everything that we do. And if you're not excited about that, I don't know what else pumps you up because everything becomes an opportunity to give God glory. So we love him with our gifts. We love him with our talents. We devote our career to him. It might not have to, like Meredith was saying last week, it might not have to be a uh, church career or anything like that, but I used to be a barista, and I would honor God with every single latte art that I would do. I would honor God with every single espresso shot that I would pull, because I believe that there are an infinite possibilities in which we can love God with everything. So, back to the story. We see here that we are to love people. It's not just to honor God, to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, is that we are to love our neighbor. And what I love about this story is that the Samaritan stopped everything to help this man. It costed him. It costed him a lot. It costed him, like he was probably late to wherever he was trying to go. He gave up precious oil and wine. He gave up hard-earned money. He took up his time, and he said, I want to make sure that this person is healed and restored. But now we read that 
and it doesn't necessarily always make sense for our context. Why? Because we live in a modern society where there are systems built in place to help us when we are down or when we have been hurt. If I'm on my way from here to BG and I'm driving because there's no chance I'm walking, you might walk, but I'm not gonna walk, not a chance. I'm gonna get into my car and I'm gonna drive to BG. And on the way to BG, if you ever see somebody broken down on the side of the road, most likely you don't stop. Why? Because they have, most likely if they're driving a car, they have insurance which means that they have somebody to help them. There's triple A, there's all sorts of reasons. And I'm not saying that those things are, um, that we, we should replace that and, and never go out and do the hard work. I'm just saying that most of the time, we have systems and resources built into our society. If there's an emergency or someone has been beaten up, we don't necessarily tend to them right there. We call 911 professionals who can do it better than we could ever do it. And we don't use oil or wine for medicinal purposes anymore. I don't know about you, but the last time I got a cut, I did not pour oil and wine on it. Oil and wine are for cooking and drinking, right? We don't use it for medicinal purposes. So it's like, how do I relate to this text? If I have a headache, I take ibuprofen. If I feel like I have a cold, I take ibuprofen. If I feel like I have COVID, I take ibuprofen. I take ibuprofen for everything, right? I don't use wine or oil for that stuff. I use ibuprofen. No. <laughs> the reason this feels so out of context, the reason that it's kind of harder to relate, especially in our modern world, and I understand, and I'm not saying that there aren't places where we need to go and mobilize. There are several places, and that's why we have Go Local. That's why we have Go Global, is because these things are set up to put people in the right places to serve people, and it doesn't stop. It starts, it's every day, right? So always be willing, and, but I think what's crazy is that we take for granted the fact that Jesus changed the game. Jesus changed everything, and we take for granted all of our um, all of our ethics that we have today, that Jesus gave us so many ethics that to love your neighbor is almost assumed in most Western cultures. He shaped everything, whether we like it or not, all of our ethics, mo or most of our ethics come from Christendom, where we get to reflect and see God in everything that we do. But this changes everything. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, your ability to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your muchness is only applied if you love horizontally as well. My vertical devotion is only good. It's only valid if I'm loving God's people as well. So we must remember to take the time to help people, to bless people, to love on people. Because if you are in church doing one thing and you're outside of the church doing another thing, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's coming. So, all right. 1 John 3, 18 says it like this. Love not and just talk. Do something about it. One way or another. It might be the KV version. But um, love God not just in talk or love not in people. Love not people just in talk, but do something about it. Love must be in action. It's something that we do. So I want to give some practical tips, tips on how to love people in our modern society, our everyday moments, our everyday situations, that we are motivated by love and not motivated by fear. 
motivated by love, as in Jesus was motivated by compassion, grace, mercy, eternity, kindness, gentleness. The lawyer was motivated by status, what he could get out of the situation. What he, he just wanted the bare minimum requirements to just get into heaven. But let me tell you here, saints, Jesus is so much more concerned about getting heaven into you than he is about you getting into heaven. He is so concerned about not just living this earthly life as if you are just waiting to die and go to heaven. The goal of the Father's prayer, of, of, the, of the prayer that we pray is say, heaven come down. That means now. That means that everything that Jesus did on the cross is an invitation to bring heaven to bring eternity here now in this heart and to move it out into the people. Okay, practical steps. So, number one, it starts in the heart. Your love starts in the heart. All of the ways that I care for Sarah, all of the ways that I care for my friends, start because I love them. It starts because I care for them. But likewise, Jesus says multiple times in the Beatitudes, and this is a little hint to the Ten Commandments here, that anger starts in the heart. Murder starts as anger. Adultery starts in the heart. It starts on the phone screen at night, whatever that might look like. It starts in the heart because lust starts in the heart. Greed, ripping people off, theft, all of those actions, all of those behaviors start somewhere in our beliefs, how we see the world. It starts in our hearts. And I love uh, one of my favorite pastors, uh, John Mark Comer, says it like this. Your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. It's important for us to know that, that although we feel a certain way, although we feel tempted, although we feel frustrated and angry and we feel confused, we, we feel feelings of all sorts of different ways. Just because it's a strong feeling does not make it our deepest feeling. Love is our deepest feeling. But the truth is what you feed grows. What you feed grows. It starts here, right? If I only hang out with people who believe the way that I believe, that is only growing and festering what I think about other people who don't believe what I believe. I'm talking about you, Android people. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, but what you feed grows. What you're on your social media doing the whole feed thing, flicking through, you know? All of those things grow inside of you. How you think of other people matters. Our worship to God starts in the heart. It's the first thing that's up. That's why David says in Psalms 51, Create in me, O Lord, a clean heart pure hands so that I might see the Father in every person and in everything that I do. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Amen. Number two, the way that you can live your greatest life and the way that you can love your neighbor is by keeping your word. Mm, this one was a tough one for me because uh, I, I like to overpromise and underdeliver. I like to come up with big, lavish plans. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then the deadline comes, and I'm like, wait, I said that? Wait, hold up. I, I just said that? Oh, yeah, I said that. 
Sarah reminds me regularly that I say a lot of things. Um, but uh, it's important because why? It builds trust. You can only love someone as much as you trust them. You can only love yourself as much as you trust yourself. And you can only love God as much as you trust him. If you don't trust him with your heart, then don't marry them. If you don't trust them with your emotions and your secrets, then don't be their best friend and tell them everything in your mouth. Trust and keep your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're gonna say you're gonna show up, be there. If not, just don't say it in the first place. So that's the second way we can love our neighbor. Our third way, there's five, by the way. Um, there's 68, by the way. Um, I got carried away. Uh, the third way we can love our neighbor is live at peace with everyone. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This requires self-control. This requires your ability to control yourself because I can't manipulate people into loving me and neither can you because manipulation is not love. Therefore, I can't make, I, I, if I'm trying to manipulate you, I'm not keeping the peace. And the way to live your greatest life is to embrace your limits. You can't do every career. You can't see, most likely you can't see every single city on the entire face of the planet. Or if you do that, you miss out on something else, right? You can't see every single place on the entire planet and raise healthy children. You have to choose what is most important to you. To love and be at peace with people is means you're present. Because love, or sorry, peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. It's important that we are present with people in peace. And that also means, and you're not gonna like this, I'm telling you, it means that you have to lose the need to be right. It's tough. You have to lose your need to win every argument. If I'm gonna live at peace with my wife at home, but I gotta win every time, I might win, but I lose the relationship. I might win the argument, but I lose what matters most. So in order for me to love God, and to love my neighbor and to live my greatest life, I must be at peace with the people around me. Number four, reconcile before you worship. This is my favorite one. Well, no, that's a lie. The last one's my favorite one, and you'll see why. But number four is reconcile before you worship. There's a particular story in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I do believe it's verse or chapter five, somewhere in the verses around there, but it's in the Beatitudes. And he talks about how before you come into your house of worship, before you come to church, if you have an issue with any of your brothers, if you have an issue with any saints, go to them first, forgive them, deal with that, then you can come bring your offerings into the house of God and worship. And that speaks volumes to me. I remember there was one time in church where I had a legitimate issue with somebody, and I was the worship leader. Right? I was getting ready to get on stage and lead people in worship. I'm like, yeah, Lord, praise Jesus, woo! But I'm over here like, I hate you, you know? It's like, <laughs> you make me so mad. But like, that's not being integrated with your full spiritual body and your whole body, right? 
It's so easy to get caught up in this because we separate different areas of our life. This is my church life. This is my business life. This is my home life. No, God wants you to be integrated in every situation. So the truth is, is that to love your neighbor, you can't be fake. To live your greatest life, you can't be hypocritical. To live your greatest life, to love God with all of your heart means that you can't be hypocritical. You have to tell the truth. This requires you to get comfortable with conflict. You have to get comfortable with conflict because you don't have to be besties with everybody. But that doesn't mean that you have to be enemies with certain people. As much as it is up to you, you be good. You get your life sorted. You say, hey, listen, call him up. There was a time in my life when I had a couple different conflicts going on and it was driving me crazy because I normally do live pretty much at peace with like my conscience. I'm not thinking about conversations in my head, but there was a time in my, in, uh, in my leadership where I had said a couple things that were wrong and it was driving me crazy and I couldn't feel the presence of God. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just gonna take some time in my car and I'm just gonna start calling these people up one by one. Hey, What's going on? Did I say something? Because when we were having this conversation, you said something like this, and I kind of took it like this. Is that what you really meant? No. Oh, so we're good? Yeah, we're good. Sweet. All right, see you later. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, what's up, bro? How are you? I love you, dude. Hey, um, are we good? Do we have any beef? You know, just call people up and deal with the actual issue. You have to be comfortable with conflict in order to be loving to people. Reconcile before you worship. Okay, this is my favorite one. And this is the last one. Practical step, at least. I still got more to talk about. But um, remember to rest. Remember to rest. So powerful. You know, the fourth command in the Ten Commandments is to Sabbath. Sabbath means to take a day off from work. If you know me, if you've spent any time around me, I love the Sabbath. Why? Because God commands me to take a day. Take a day and do the things that I love. To go eat the food that I like, to lay on the couch and read a book that I like, to do nothing, to stop. It says to cease, to rest, and to worship. If you are not good, you will not be good to other people. If you're stressed out, running late all the time, you're gonna be short with people. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not gonna love people. That's why when, before Sarah and I got married, we had a conversation with a couple that said, don't fight when you're angry. No, sorry. Don't fight when you're tired. Sorry. Don't fight when you're tired. If it's 12 o'clock at night, just go to bed. Don't argue. And don't fight when you're hungry. How many conflicts, how many poor people on the road would you not have cursed them out if you would have just got your cheeseburger when you needed it, right? But think about it like this. Somebody that might have just cut you out, they're just hungry. If they had a taco, they may not be as angry as you might think, and therefore you don't need to have an enemy. Just say, I'm hungry. So remember to rest. Remember to rest. To love God with your whole heart. To love people like you love God requires you to check your heart. It requires you to live at peace with people. It requires you to reconcile before you go into the house of God. It requires you to keep your word. And it requires you to rest, to remember, to take a break. Take a break, people. 
final part. Love God, love people as yourself. For my 30th birthday, we got to go to Disney. What? It was so much fun. My 30th birthday, it was just a month ago or so, um, and it was the best time. When I tell you it was the best time, I mean it was the best time. We went to Magic Kingdom, and we hung out. It was myself, Sarah, my mom, my dad, my brother-in-law, and my sister, and we just had the best time. And we were walking around, and all of a sudden, I'm walking by the castle, and I feel this bright light, kind of like one of those, um, and I feel this bright light on me, and I'm like, wait, the sun's over there. What? What's happening? And it was crazy because there's projectors all the way in the back projecting something onto the castle. They're, it's projecting magic, people. Come on. It's projecting the magic. And so for a second there, I had magic being projected onto me. And I was like, what? I'm feeling magical. I feel great. This is the best birthday ever. <laughs> and after I... Uh, thought about it a little bit. It, it made me think about the, the type of image that we are projecting onto people. Because there is an image that we were made in, which is the image of God. So in order for me to love my neighbor, I have to know and understand that I was made with a purpose. I was made with a plan. I was made on purpose on purpose, I was made with intention, and I was created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. It's not that I have the divine spark of a divinity in me. It's that my whole, everything was made in the image of God, and so was yours, and that's the best part. So I wonder if you've ever walked into a party and you're feeling all sorts of insecure about whatever your insecurities are and you find yourself projecting onto other people, you know, yelling at them and thinking that they're thinking what you're thinking, but you can't read minds, so you have no idea what they're thinking. So you are just kind of going crazy. You're projecting things onto other people. Because here's the thing. If you don't believe, if you don't believe in your truest heart that you were made in the image of God, you will not convey it. You'll convey, a forf, uh, 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 you'll convey something that's not true. You'll convey something that's not real. You'll convey a lie. You'll project something that's not good. I heard this. Um, your ability to love others is directly tied to your ability to love yourself and understand yourself. Because if you don't know yourself, uh, like a bunch of people have said it different ways. Um, the one that kind of sticks with me is John Calvin. Um, he says it something like this, that in order for me to know God, I must first understand myself. In order for me to understand who Jesus is, I must first understand who I am because we gain who we are from Jesus. And as we get closer to the image of God and as we get closer to the things that God has for us, you might think that we'll become just droids or ghosties, all gray blobs that all look the same because we all worship the one creator. But that's just not true. That God made you, you uniquely. He made you with so much purpose. He crafted you with so much intention that the more you become like God, the more you become vibrant and unique and individualistic and the more you become amazing in all of the way that you are. So the last thing, or not the last thing, sorry. Gosh, I keep giving all these false ends. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> You guys are like, yeah? No? Aw. <laughs> okay. We can love God because he first loved us, right? So all of these things might sound hard. 
after a while, they kind of wear on us. After a while, they kind of take us down. But we don't have to do it from our own strength. We get to lie on the grace of God because Jesus was the first one to have grace and mercy on us. He was the one that went down the road first for us. He was the one that healed and bandaged our wounds. He was the one that restored us, paid the price that we couldn't so we could be saved. Jesus was the one that did it for us first so that then we can go out to love people. This is the path to your greatest life. Living in the kingdom of God means that you love God with your whole heart, soul, and all your muchness. I love that so much. And to love people as yourself, as you were created in the image of God. Okay, this is my last story. Um, there's, a, there's a particular scene in the book of, uh, in, in the Gospel of John. There's a particular scene in the Gospel of John. And um, I love it so much. I'm not going to read it for you, but I'm just going to kind of share the way it affects my imagination. So if I cry, don't worry about it. It's just natural. At, like three times when I practiced this message, I was like, and then John was like, and I'm, you know, <laughs> and Sarah was just like, mm-hmm, good baby, yeah, good job. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, but God loves you. Okay. <laughs> There's a particular story in the Gospel of John that uh, really just wrecks my imagination because here we go. It's at the end. It's the last chapter, one of the last stories. Um, David, if you can come up. I don't know where you're at, but yeah. So, um, it's the last story, and John is uh, sitting. They're all out. They're all out fishing. Sorry, they're all out fishing, and they're at the boats. And off to the distance, they see a figure, and it's Jesus. And this is after the resurrection. This is in his full glory. He's glowing. You know, he's stoked. And he sees them, and he's like, "Have you guys caught anything?" And they're like, "No." They're like, "Throw it over to the other side." And they're like, "Okay." And then they do it, and then they get some fish, and they bring it up, and then they start to have breakfast. They're, they're cooking their fish with, I don't know who's having fish for breakfast, but maybe some like eggs benedict, I don't know, like something there. But um, so they, they ha- they're having breakfast and they're sitting down at the table. And this is the first encounter that Peter has with the resurrected Jesus. And so I can just imagine Jesus, or I can just imagine Peter feeling rather sheepish, pun intended. Peter's feeling down because he's like, I love it because it says that they dared not question if it was Jesus because they knew it. They knew it was God. They knew it was Jesus. So they're all just kind of like, you know, happy as can be, but kind of like, I don't know what to do with this because we all went back. We all quit our discipleship jobs and we went back to fishing. So they're all sitting at the table and I can just imagine the peace of Jesus at that dinner table outside fire's going, and Peter's kind of over there, a couple people down, and Jesus, and they're all sitting, eating meals. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And I can imagine, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I could look Jesus in the eye. He's, he's calling me out. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you. I love you, Lord. And again, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And every time he's going a little bit deeper, because when he thinks about this question, Peter, do you love me? Peter's thinking, 
but I betrayed you. When you needed me most, I let you down. When you needed a friend at night to comfort you as you pray, I went to bed. I was not a neighbor to you. I was not a friend to you. I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I'm a hypocrite. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter is like, yes, God, I love you. Of course I do. And I can imagine everybody at the table right then is like feeling hecka awkward, like cutting their fish. Like, this is good fish. Jesus always gets the good fish. And Peter is dealing with all of this emotion. It's all coming up in him. He's been able to maybe bury it a little bit, but he's reconciling with the fact that he betrayed his rabbi, his pastor. He betrayed the person that he loves the most. And Jesus asks him a final time, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Peter says, yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. And we see a beautiful imagery of every time, any time that we sin and fall short of the glory of God. God paid the price first. And so we can live in that freedom and live in that mercy. But the call that Jesus had for Peter was that if you love me, you're gonna feed my people. You're gonna feed the people. You're gonna be called to the people. The church is gonna be built on your back. You are gonna be called the rock. And that story speaks to me so deeply because I wonder how many times you've been the person that has betrayed Jesus. When you've fallen short, when you've left church and you've cussed somebody out, when you've promised something to somebody and you didn't deliver, when you betrayed somebody, you lied on somebody, you gossiped on somebody, you had an affair, you left your kids, Whatever it might be, you fell short of the glory of God. Jesus has a question for you. Do you love him? And if you say yes, he has a command for you. Feed his sheep. The same love and mercy that I gave you, give to other people. I'll end with this. It, it, it was a uh, kind of a mind-blowing experience. I, I love this, um, the simplicity of everything because it, because it talks, um, the, the difference between grace and mercy is so powerful to understand because grace is God giving you a gift that you do not deserve. God giving you salvation, freedom, abundance, prosperity, walking in delight and walking in freedom in relationship with him. But mercy, mercy is God not giving you punishment that you do deserve. And so this morning, I want you to know that you are set free from all the sin, from all the bondage, from all the weight and guilt and shame that you feel and carry with you everywhere you go. You are set free because Jesus paid the price for you today on the cross. 
at Calvary, he has set you free to go and feed his sheep. And he's given you the ability to set people free. He's given you the gift to not give people what they deserve, but to give people that grace and mercy, to not give people what they deserve, but to give people love and kindness. Love and mercy. And this whole uh, ending just makes me think of that song. You guys can come out right now if you want to. Um, this song called Worthy is the Name. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. We're about to enter into a time of worship and devotion. So if you can just make some space in your heart to love God, to say, God, you are worthy of all praise and all glory.